Alabama football might be in a weekend state, but Nick Saban still rules Lane Kiffin. That's one thing we learned on Saturday coming out of week four of college football action. Welcome into SEC Football Unfiltered, our podcast from the USA Today Network. I'm Blake Topmeyer alongside John Adams. Today on the episode, we're going to take a look at two 4-0 teams in the SEC. Actually, there's three. We expected Georgia to be undefeated. The other two are Kentucky and Missouri, just like we would have predicted it. Uh, are we buying into either the Tigers or the Wildcats? We will discuss. We'll also have our week four picks, excuse me, week five picks. But first, John, I want to start with the SEC West. The biggest game from last weekend was supposed to be Alabama Ole Miss. I was there. Some of Alabama's struggles we saw in the previous weeks flared up in the first half. And then as we've seen so many times before in this head-to-head between Nick Saban and Lane Kiffin, uh, Kiffin's Rebels fizzled in the crunch time. It was all Alabama in the third quarter. Really showed some promising signs, I think, of what maybe could be for Alabama's offense. It's not perfect, but Jalen Milrow throws a good deep ball. And he's also got good running ability, and that was enough to beat Ole Miss. Um, What were your impressions of that, and and does that have you rethinking Alabama at all, or is this just another example of Lane Kiffin? Um, He's kind of a funny guy. He's entertaining, but he can't win the big games. There's obviously a ceiling with Lane Kiffin based on the track record. He just hasn't been a big game guy. He can get you to a certain level. And that might have to do with the limitations at Ole Miss, in part at least. But he gets – I mean, I thought this was a winnable game for Ole Miss. Alabama's offense is still questionable. Uh, it's relying on – it's going back to its Bear Bryant days and winning with uh, defense and trying to run the ball. But the running game is is not overwhelmingly good. But clearly Jalen Milrow is its best shot. We saw the other two quarterbacks – the previous week against South Florida. So you got to go with Jalen Milrow and design an offense uh, that that can work for him. The offense reminds me a little bit since uh, Tennessee is celebrating the 25th anniversary of its 98 team national championship unbeaten season. Uh, That's kind of what Tennessee's offense was. Had a better core of running backs, certainly. T. Martin, the quarterback, threw a really nice deep ball, and he could run. Uh, So that was – they made big plays in the passing game, and they tried to run the ball. Uh, That's pretty much what Alabama's up to now offensively. But I really think with Alabama that it's all about the defense. The defense has to be outstanding from one week to the next. I just don't see this offense breaking out with a – 42-45 point game in the SEC. It's going to have to hope the defense holds up throughout the year and makes it really tough on teams to to score. Against Texas, it couldn't quite do that. Not sure it can against Texas A&M. But really, that game didn't change my opinion that much of either team. Uh, you know, it's kind of the track record going in, what we thought about Prior to this game, that narrative still remains. 
Yeah, you know how it is writing these deadline columns, John, and 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 maybe readers know as well. But I guess the the peak behind the curtain is in in the website era we're in. You know, folks like you and I, we we file our our columns as soon as the buzzer hits, and then you know a few hours later we'll file another column that may publish later that night or or the next day. So. You know, the way you know how it is is like the game's unfolding. You're you're coming up with an angle. You're coming up with a take, and by the, by the time the buzzer hits, well, you hope it was a good one because by then it's it's too late. So, and, and sometimes you look back on it and you think, yeah, I I I I, uh, I had a good take there. Sometimes you look back on it and think, what was what was I thinking? Um, <laughs> I was thinking about what I wrote on Saturday, John, because may, maybe I just got too enamored with Alabama's third quarter. They they looked really good coming out of halftime, and I thought, maybe this is a recipe that Alabama can hang its hat on to be dangerous in the SEC. Now, as I wrote for that column, I said, you know, what does dangerous mean? Does that mean they can win the national championship? No, I I don't look at this team and see a national championship team. But does that mean they could win the SEC West? I thought I saw maybe some signs Saturday that perhaps they could. This is not a complete team. It's not a complete offense. I still don't think that their best way to beat you is by dinking and dunking their way down the field. Uh, that, that was Bryce Young. Bryce Young was reading the field, just a maestro and inside and out of the pocket. Jalen Milrow's deep shots and quarterback sweeps. At least Tommy Reese drew up some design runs for him on, on Saturday and then in the third quarter, Milrow started hitting those deep shots. And I thought, maybe that's a formula for Alabama to, to get to Atlanta with. Deep shots, quarterback runs, dependable defense. Do you think that was me overreacting in the moment as I'm filing a deadline column? Uh, it's okay if I was. You can say it. Or, uh, or, or maybe was there a recipe there that, that indicates Alabama could still win the West with, with this formula? Yeah, I think the West is kind of is kind of winnable for whoever can step up. It seems. Uh, no, I, I don't have a problem with that recipe, but I just think it. And you stated your goals. You don't see Alabama as a championship team. You're not winning a championship with that offense. There's absolutely no way. Uh, but you could go ten and two maybe with that offense. Yeah, that's sort and, of the way I feel. I think. Yeah, yeah and and. I think things will get a lot tougher for Alabama in the second half of the season. Uh, playing at Texas A&M, playing LSU, playing Tennessee. Home games, nonetheless, challenging games. But if you put Alabama against a really good offense and its defense can't dominate it, then you're kind of getting in trouble waters. You, you, you just don't know if it will have enough umph to win. Uh, I still look at Alabama and don't see enough playmakers. Uh, true. Forget the quarterback, Jalen Milrow. Alabama doesn't have as many playmakers as uh, Georgia does, that's for sure. Doesn't have as many playmakers as LSU does. Doesn't have as many playmakers as Texas A&M does. So it's got to win the hard way. And For, for all the focus on the quarterback – He's the playmaker on the offense, isn't he? Yeah. Jalen Milrow is is the playmaker, despite all the all the focus and criticism that that comes with that position. He's the guy. He if someone's going to break off a big play, 
it's going to be Milro and Cork and a bomb or Milro doing it with his legs, I think. Yeah, and I, I think opposing defenses will get a pretty good beat on that in the second half of the season. I think Alabama is going to be pretty predictable offensively. Maybe a beat can be predictable and still prevail. Uh, but this just doesn't look like a an Alabama team. And, and I will say the offensive line was better against Ole Miss, but it's still not what we thought it was be, would be or, ever, or as it were was billed in preseason, like this could be a dominant offensive line. If you had a dominant offensive line, maybe you could knock people off the ball, run the ball effectively, and just grind out 70- and 80-yard touchdown drives. I don't see that happening with Alabama. Yeah, and I know Ole Miss was ranked number 16 nationally. They'd, they'd beat Tulane, albeit Tulane with a backup quarterback. But I just keep thinking, Kiffin's 1-5 and five in his last six SEC games. His his record against you know top opponents is not very good. So I don't I don't know how much of a it, it's good that Alabama didn't lose from their standpoint. They would have been a playoff eliminator had they lost. But you know how big of a feather in the cap is it really? Nick Saban's now five and zero against Kiffin. He's supposed to beat Kiffin. Alabama's supposed to beat Ole Miss. They did. Didn't look great in the first half did look good in the second half. And and we heard Saban and Milrow both say after the game, you know, this, the platform was kind of set up for them to say, oh, how great did we play after halftime? It shows you what the team could be. That's not what they said. They, they, they both said, uh, yeah, some good things in that second half. But the real issue of what happened today was what happened in the first half. And so there was there was no sugarcoating it from the Alabama camp that they felt like it was an incomplete performance. Take that for what it's worth. Uh, we, we've spent so much time talking about Alabama the last few weeks, John. Uh, I, I did want to reference LSU as we broaden our SEC West conversation because LSU got all it could handle from Arkansas. Uh, rivalry game, rivalry game, I think that maybe means more to Arkansas than it does to LSU. Um but this is an Arkansas team that had lost to BYU at home just the week before. We know they have a very good quarterback. Uh, K.J. Jefferson looked the part and uh, was almost kind of a one-man band in, in almost propelling Arkansas to an upset. LSU needed a late field goal to prevail 34-31. LSU's got Ole Miss this week. Um, then, the, uh, then, then they have undefeated Missouri. How concerning do you think that result was? Even even though a victory, did you just take it as uh, you know escape, get the W, and move on, or, or or did you come away with maybe some concerns about LSU? Granted, Arkansas looks at that game as a much bigger rivalry than LSU does, and you can go back through history and see where Arkansas has really caused problems for LSU. It's beaten uh, more talented LSU teams when it was uh, uh, clearly inferior with the lineup it fielded. So that's part of it. But to me, the concern is uh, with LSU is the defense. It totally unraveled in the second half against Florida State in the opener and gave up 31 points. Uh, It looked good against Mississippi State, but Mississippi State's in a transitional phase from air raid to more conventional offense. Uh, but Arkansas, the way Arkansas went up and down the field, 
I don't see where that LSU defense is playing up to its talent level. Mm-hmm. Uh, Harold Perkins, I know they're using him somewhat differently. It's almost as though they don't quite know what to do with him now. I, I can offer advice. Just let him do what he did last year. That, it's as simple as that. Because So you got a guy I thought could be the best defensive player in the conference, even as just a sophomore not making the plays in the same volume that he did last season. And then you look at the defensive front, to me, should be pretty dominant. Uh, And that's not happening either. And you have some supposedly good defensive backs. Uh, That was a probably area of concern going into the season. It's a greater area now. But I just thought LSU – would really put the heat on opposing passers. That hasn't happened. Regardless of what Arkansas showed, and if Arkansas played inspired and it played over its head a little bit, maybe in Tiger Stadium, that's got to be a huge concern for Brian Kelly going forward, that LSU could not, couldn't keep them under 30 points. I think LSU has a, a problem on defense right now. Yeah, particularly I think in, in pass coverage, we saw that against Florida State in the opener. We saw it against another good quarterback uh, in K.J. Jefferson in this Arkansas game. It's like when when LSU goes up against the better quarterbacks on its schedule, that could be uh, kind of white-knuckle time in, in those, those type of games. Uh, meanwhile, Texas A&M, they had two quarterbacks on their depth chart better than anybody on, on Auburn's. I think it's going to be a long season. Uh, for Auburn, the the three and zero start, I, I think, will prove to be fool's gold. Uh, Auburn's got some guys on defense; they always do, no matter how bad it gets at Auburn. Seems like they got some dudes on defense. I still think that's the case. They don't have many dudes on offense, and they don't have a quarterback, so not really a surprising result in College Station. But Texas A and M saddled with that non conference loss, which isn't looking so bad right now. Miami's four and zero; they haven't played much outside of A and M. Uh, but who they have played, they've utterly destroyed. So I think the the easy take, which maybe we fell for in the moment, was, oh, no, here we go again with Jimbo. Maybe in reality it was just Miami's not you know pretty good team, and they won a home game against Texas A&M. So it, it's sort of those three right now still, I guess, the front runners in the SEC West, John, Alabama, LSU, Texas A&M, which is where things stood at the beginning of the season. Last couple weeks, the waters got a little muddied. We briefly entertained the idea that maybe Ole Miss would enter the mix. I think they exited stage with their performance against Alabama. So we're, we're kind of back circling around to those three. How do you rank those three? Not necessarily your power rankings, because that's sort of a nebulous term, but if you were to predict the most likely to win the SEC West to the least likely, at least likely from that group of three, Alabama, LSU, Texas A&M, how would you order them? That's really a tough call right now because all three of the teams are flawed. It's not as though you can look at any one of those teams and, and see Georgia of last season or, mm-hmm. or LSU of 2019 or, Alabama of 2020. These are all flawed teams. And flawed teams can lose to a lot of teams in the SEC. So 
I guess right now I would still go with LSU. Uh, that was my preseason pick. It was yours too because it can score a lot of points. And that might be enough uh, to win the West. And I would probably write Texas A&M next. And I do that, uh, you know, a caution light goes off in my head when I predict good things for Texas A&M. I mean, how many times do I have to be wrong about the Aggies? It's almost like a disease, a, a, a psychological <laughs> flaw in which I keep, I just can't resist expecting good things to the Aggies. I, I was floored by that Miami game. I know Miami's pretty good. I know it was at home. But Texas A&M has a ex- pretty experienced secondary. Uh, there's some talent on that defense in the way it looked as though it's got a supposedly good defensive coordinator now. Nonetheless, in that second half, it just looked as though it as though it never seen an up-tempo spread offense. Miami just went up and down the field. Uh, so that concerns me uh, that LSU could do that. When I look at A&M, it almost looks like a complete team. I know it's not, but when I look at it on paper, I see a a highly recruited uh, players on that defense on the defensive front. They've got depth there, uh, pretty good linebackers, experienced secondary guys, and you go over to the to the offense, and that young running back core is really starting to come on, sure. and it's got. I know LSU has better has good wide receivers, but I, I would take AM's receivers over anybody's right now in the SEC. I mean, they've got some playmakers there. And Connor Wigman was is done okay. He's better than he was last year as a freshman. He can he's got a strong arm and he's got good guys to go to. Uh and even when he was hurt, uh Max Johnson came in and looked not like a backup, pressed into an emergency role but he looked like an experienced starting quarterback, which in a way kind of is. So I look at A&M and I see a better team than Alabama and A&M plays Alabama at college station. Uh, so to me, that's, uh, I still got to hang my hat on, on Texas A&M. And it's not that, it's not that far from LSU. If you start going by position by position, but I look at LSU and AM kind of in the same way. I look at Alabama's maybe talent-wise, it's probably doing about as good as it can. I look at AM and Tennessee, I mean in AM and uh and LSU and think those teams could be better than they are. So it's interesting, John, because before the season, Nick Saban, I think it was maybe during a, his radio show, made some sort of comment questioning whether Alabama had enough talent to achieve the highest of goals. And everybody kind of laughed and snickered and thought, what's, what's Nick doing here? I mean, look at the recruiting rankings from the last several years. How's he saying there's, there's not enough talent here. And yet I I tend to agree with you when we evaluate, throw the rankings aside and just evaluate what we've seen with our eyes through four weeks and I would say, at least of the guys who are playing in the here and now, I think I think LSU and A&M probably have higher end talent than Alabama. Um, 
playmate. You mentioned playmakers. I, I I just love that when it comes to teams that can win a division, teams that can make a college football playoff. You can you can surprise somebody. You can you can go nine and three without having a bevy of playmakers. Just question whether you can get to Atlanta um, without playmakers. Now I think, like I said, I think Milrow has some potential as a playmaker. I do wonder though, to your point, whether there's enough guys around him at Alabama. Hey, you're, you're so right though about like the caution light with, with Texas A&M. It maybe caution light may not be strong enough. It, it was people that twirl the signs around the human directionals, the human billboards. I just see someone twirling a, a an arrow around just screaming caution when it comes to us talking about the Aggies. Cause we've fallen into that trap before, but I think I'd probably rank them the same way you do. Uh, I, I, I think I'd still go LSU number one. Although playing on the road at Alabama would be somewhat concerning, they do get Texas A and M at home. Alabama, I think that's a, I think that's going to be a real dangerous game in a few weeks against Texas A and M in College Station. We remember what happened a couple years ago uh, when Zach Calzada was A and M's quarterback. I mean that that place was a zoo that night <laughs> um, at, at Kyle Field. If that's a night game, uh, I don't think they've announced game times for that yet but regardless i would expect um you know a similar type of environment as it was a couple years ago so yeah i i I guess i still lean lsu despite the fact that their secondary i think is a real concern uh i probably go lsu one a and m two alabama three and i think a big part of that is based on the conversation we've had of that sort of looks to me like the talent pecking order among these three is LSU, A&M, then Alabama, which surprising as it is to say, maybe Saban was on to something when he was raising that alarm in, in the preseason. Alabama keeps churning out top three recruiting classes. But we're seeing now that top three recruiting classes don't always become top three teams. We're so accustomed to that happening at Alabama. We just take it for granted that that next wave of players is going to be just as good as the previous waves of player, the previous wave of players. And where that to me is most obvious is it's not as though Alabama's recruiting bad receivers. It's recruiting four-star guys. But you compare Alabama's receiving core now to what it was three years ago when it won the national championship even lost a star receiver to injury, still won it. I mean, there's no comparison. That gap is as significant as the gap between quarterbacks and running backs. It's, you know, three years ago, Alabama had Najee Harris to hand the ball to. It had an NFL quarterback. It had four NFL receivers. And look at it now. John, with with both of us still having LSU as the favorites, um, I look at their next couple games, and I think trap game is such a stupid term that we use in the media. <laughs> I mean, what's a trap game? A trap game is a game against a good opponent that can beat you. It's not like uh, you know Vanderbilt's going to lay some snare that's going to grab you by the ankle coming into Commodore Stadium, although the construction zone that's going on there right now, you might get caught in some type of snare. 
Uh, I don't think it's going to be one laid by the football team. But so I'm acknowledging this is is a stupid phrase, trap game. But with the idea that Alabama and Texas A&M are looming at the back end of LSU's schedule, it can sort of cloud over what's coming the next couple weeks. I know what we've said about Lane Kiffin's struggles in, in big games, um, and yet this is a top top 25 matchup this weekend in Oxford, followed by, lo and behold, here's Missouri in the top 25. It's as if one of us said, don't count out Missouri this season. That was me, not you, John, uh, coming the, the next week at, at Columbia. Either one of those, uh, should, should LSU be concerned, or LSU fans, you think, be concerned about either of those opponents the next two weeks, Ole Miss or Missouri? Uh, yes, I'm officially on Mizzou's bandwagon now. Mm, welcome aboard. Yeah, I'm I'm up there in the driver's seat. <laughs> You've kicked me aside. Huh? Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm like all about Mizzou now. I thought it would be absolutely horrible. It's anything but that. Kansas State win was a huge victory for that program. And what has impressed me, Blake, is – the Missouri fan base now looks like it really cares. Uh, it comes to the game with a with a bit of hostility, which it should be a requirement for all SEC teams, uh, a hostile fan base. And I saw that against Kansas State, and I expected to see against see that against LSU. As we said, LSU's pass defense is vulnerable. Well, thanks to Brady Cook. Mm. A Brady Cook that probably no one saw coming. Uh, A different Brady Cook. Hey, all he needed was surgery. And now he's he's throwing the ball effectively. He's a good runner. I would expect that to be a close game in Missouri. So, yeah, LSU should be concerned about that game. I think that might be a tougher game for LSU than Ole Miss. Wow. You really are driving that. Yes, Missouri train, uh-huh. right? Well, let's Thank get over you. to that. I, I, I promised we'd talk a little SEC East, and I, I want to focus in on Kentucky and Missouri. Kentucky being 4-0 is not really surprising when you look at their schedule. Kentucky <laughs> annually, um, they play nobody out of the gates. It's it's a cupcake schedule every year in, in the first month of the season, and this year is no different. Kentucky's 4-0 thanks to beating Ball State, Eastern Kentucky, Akron, and Vanderbilt. And actually, Eastern Kentucky, the FCS opponent, was gave, gave Kentucky the toughest challenge uh, of those four. They got a big game this weekend at home against Florida, and then they have Georgia. We'll know all we need to know about Kentucky in the next two weeks. Um, perhaps more surprising being undefeated is Missouri because they had Kansas State in week three, which Kansas State just absolutely destroyed Missouri last year. And then they had this neutral site game against Memphis in St. Louis last week, which felt like one Missouri should win, but you in the preseason couldn't pencil it in as a definite. So here we are, Georgia, Kentucky, and Missouri. They're the only remaining undefeated teams in the SEC. Are you ready, and you've kind of teased your answer, I guess, but are you ready to engage with either of these teams being kind of the real deal, Missouri or Kentucky. And maybe I should define what that means. Real deal, I don't take that to mean you're going to beat Georgia and play in the SEC championship, but real deal means a 4-0 start is not fool's gold. Uh, you can you can beat some legitimate teams in this conference 
and wind up in a pretty good bowl game at the end of the year. Well, yeah, Memphis uh, was unbeaten going into the Missouri game. I, I know it's no juggernaut, but uh, combine that with a huge win over Kansas State and just watching Missouri from week to week, uh, I think it's the real deal. Uh, Kentucky uh, schedule is shameful, but that doesn't seem to bother anybody there. You almost wonder when the schedule is being presented, if anybody there says, you think this might be too light a schedule? And, <laughs> and then you can almost hear Mark Stoops, the coach, saying, oh, no, not at all. I think it's very <laughs> challenging. You know, if you go to 4-0 start, uh, Kentucky's headed for big trouble. Uh, for one for one thing, look at, look at what its in-state rival is doing right now. Louisville's pretty good. And it's got to play at Louisville the last game of the season. But it's got a lot of tough games ahead. It plays Alabama outside the conference, plays at Mississippi State, at South Carolina, got to play at Georgia. Yeah, I I don't think that's totally fool's fool's goal. I mean, if if it could keep playing back teams, yeah, it'd be a playoff contender, but that's not allowed in the SEC. But Missouri, I think – uh, for all it, even though it just doesn't look that great on paper, um, I look at somebody like Luther Burden. Mm, he's having just a blistering out. start. Yeah, he's, he's a, been he's phenomenal. A, we talked about playmakers. He's one, and Brady Cook much, much improved at quarterback. Tyron Hopper. Uh, watching him against Kansas State, he's an ex-Gator. And boy, wouldn't Florida like to have him now. He's one of the better players in the SEC. So, yeah, I, I really like Missouri. I think I've made that pretty clear. I, I don't have a pennant on my wall behind me. But other than that, yes, I'm uh, I'm entrenched on that bandwagon. Yeah. yeah, you keep talking like this, John. I know a Missouri fan or two probably send you a pennant you can – put up there right next to your uh your awards your plaques that you've gotten for your distinguished <laughs> hall of fame journalism career i would uh well thanks for noticing but i would uh you know i yeah missouri fans you know i wanted to kick them out of the conference not that long ago yeah your support for them is pretty fickle yeah it's <laughs> short-lived it, 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 it can turn very quickly but right now I'm a zoo all the way. What's what's the name of that fight song? It's not Fight On. It's uh, Fight Something, I think. You know what the name of the Missouri fight song is? I, Every True Son. I don't know. Fight Tigers. Uh, I, I kind of forget like which ones are like the official songs and which ones yeah, are. Yeah, I, I don't think people. a lot of people there spend time, their spare time, thinking – Oh, we should write a song about this program. Yeah, there's one about you know tigers fighting for old Mizzou. Maybe that's the one you're you're talking yeah. about. Hey, if it keeps up, maybe I'll write a song about Missouri. You've written songs before, I I know. For Kentucky, this feels like sort of a kind of a typical Kentucky season during the Mark Stoops era, where they'll beat up on some some weaklings from the MAC to where. Uh, Kentucky is is almost like an affiliate member <laughs> at this point. And then, you know, October rolls around and the losses start coming. And next thing you know, you look up 
at the end of the season and Kentucky's seven and five playing in the tax slayer bowl uh, or something like that, which is better than Kentucky's history before Mark Stoops. I mean, jokes about its schedule aside, uh, you know, at least they're playing in the tax slayer bowl and they're not two and 10. So, but, but it just, to me, I haven't seen anything from Kentucky that suggests to me uh, this is going to be something different than their usual type of seven and five campaign. Now, if they beat Florida this weekend at home, now I know Florida's no world beaters, um, but Florida has found a pulse and they beat Tennessee a couple weeks ago. They have uh, the conference's leading passer in terms of completion percentage in Graham Mertz. Speaking of things we didn't predict, Graham Mertz leads the conference with 78% of his passes completed. But, you know, just Florida, I don't care that this isn't like Urban Myers Gators. Like, when Kentucky beats Florida, that makes you think, hmm, okay, maybe this maybe this Kentucky season would be something more than a seven and five trip to the tax slayer bowl. That's for me, that's sort of the defining game in, in Kentucky seasons is what do you do against Florida? Because it used to be uh, we knew what they were going to do against Florida. You could you could pencil it in um, five years in advance. They were going to lose to Florida. Uh, last five, six years, it's been a game that's sort of more of a, a swing game, hanging the balance, and that's kind of the way I look at this um, this game for Kentucky this year. You, you think back to 2018, might have been Mark Stoops' uh, best best team. They went 10-3. and three. They beat the Gators. So, uh, I, again, I, I look at this as a huge game for Kentucky. And, and, and again, they won, they won 10 games in 2021. They beat the Gators that year. So I really think this weekend we'll learn what we need to know about Kentucky. Uh, let's get into some picks, shall we, John? Um, I love getting into this this segment of the show right now because uh, I'm doing great on the picks. Uh, coming off my loss from last season to you, uh, I spent a lot of time in the offseason focusing on my stakes, my mistakes and making sure I didn't repeat them. Had another good week last week. I'm now 13-7-1. You weren't so good. You had a couple pushes. You are now 6-13-2. Uh, how's your bank account doing, John? Uh, I guess it's okay to see this, say this in our podcast. I really don't care. It's About uh, your bank account? No, no. About, about those pigs. Maybe I should put some more thought in it as you did into the, in the off season mm-hmm. because you did blow a lead last season. Yeah, uh, I hate to bring that up, but it was. Uh, I'm not going to say you choked, but you didn't finish strong. Let's put it that oh, way. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, okay. So uh, anyway, you're a two-time published author. Uh, throwing a couple dollars around on sports betting would just be chump change to a selling author. Like you, no, I didn't say best-selling, but a, a selling author, nonetheless. You can find John's works wherever books are sold. Maybe, maybe you won't. Amazon, Amazon. Amazon. There you yeah. go. Let's get into some picks, John. Uh, we will. I want to go ahead and start with Florida, Kentucky. We've we've talked about it. One of the bigger games this weekend. Um, been been a big game when these teams have met last few seasons. Almost feels like a. Does it feel like a rivalry? Is that wrong to say? Kentucky, Florida, at least uh, recently, has felt like a rivalry. Yeah, because they've had some 
so a couple of nasty incidents mm-hmm. in that series. A uh, little late hitting going on. Uh, they just don't like each other very much. And that's kind of a new thing. And in, in a way, I find it refreshing because it just shows you that a rivalry can pop up pretty much anyway. Uh, I know a lot of uh, SEC fans are bemoaning the expanded conference and next season and concerned about uh, rivalries being lost. I look at it as rivalries being gained. You have two new programs, and who knows, that uh, Vanderbilt, Oklahoma thing could turn into a real, maybe, what would be the name of that? Uh, uh, the, the construction new- bowl, if it's being played in Nashville right now. Yeah. I tell you what, don't walk around that stadium barefooted. There could be what nails a all over the place. Yeah, we could do a whole whole segment um, on the, the laughable venue that has uh, unfolded around the Commodores there. I mean, you, you, you coaches talk about bringing your hard hat to work. You know, it's become kind of a cliche in football. Got to got to bring a hard hat to work. Bring your lunch pail. No, seriously, if you're going to play in, in Commodore Stadium right now, uh, bring your bring your hard hat to work or better yet, just don't even show up. Uh, Vanderbilt fans usually don't anyway, but we digress. Uh, Kentucky, a three-point favorite at home against the Gators. Uh, I'm going to take Florida in the points. I think this could be a really tight game like we've seen sometimes in in recent years. I I sort of think Florida gets one on the road here, Um, but I don't have to have Florida win outright. They just uh, have to lose by only a couple points. So give me uh, give me Florida and the three points. I will give you that very gladly, and I'll take Kentucky. Uh, I don't know if you noticed, but Florida beat Charlotte by 15 whole points last Saturday. A strong defensive effort is what that was, John. Oh, okay. I was kind of looking at the offensive side of the ledger, and how do you only score 22 on Charlotte with the conference's most accurate passer? They were they were saving things in the playbook. Didn't you hear no. Eli Drink Eli Drinkwitz this season? So that's why you didn't expect that breakout performance against Kansas State because he was saving things in the playbook mm, for a okay. couple of weeks. Uh, Billy Napier, he's playing he's playing chess, not checkers. He's not mm. showing his cards against Charlotte. Well, he surely didn't. I credit him with that. Uh, he's, that offense has been well concealed so far. So. All the credit in the world to Billy Napier, but I'll take Mark Stoops and that track record of just awful opponents and pick the Wildcats. Mm, okay. Uh, Georgia-Auburn, game that used to be a big one. Auburn's going to have to find a quarterback before this really feels like a big game again. Georgia's been dominating that rivalry under Kirby Smart. Uh, the sports books reflect that. Georgia... 16-point favorite. Uh, the line is is maybe shifted since I jotted down uh, that number, but uh, we don't we don't have time for revisions here. So we're still going with Georgia. Uh, 16-point favorites at Auburn. This will be the first road start for Carson Beck. Does that concern you at all? He's a veteran backup. He's got some home starts behind him now. Concern you at all that uh, he'll be on the road here? Say what you will about it. Auburn's team, but that is historically pretty tough place to play. Auburn's home winning percentage as compared to their road winning percentage the last several years 
it's one of the biggest differences in in the conference. Even when they're years where they're not that good, they're they're still tough to beat at home usually. Yeah, uh, Carson Beck's first SEC road game doesn't concern me, but it should concern Georgia fans. Uh, he's had it pretty easy so far. Drops back in that pocket and throws a nice ball. Uh, finds Brock Bowers every now and then for a big play. But uh, I've got an inside source on this. I don't want to divulge any information. and uh, But uh, because of that, I, I, I will take the points in Auburn and do so gladly. Wow. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Must be some uh, some source you have there, John, because I look at this one and think, okay, 16-point spread. Auburn's going to score all of about three or six points in this <laughs> game, maybe. So Georgia doesn't even have to light it up to cover 16. I will, um, without hesitation, take Georgia to cover the spread. That will bring us to LSU Ole Miss. LSU is a road favorite, two and a half points. Ole Miss teased the upset. I don't know if it would have even been an upset. Teased the win last year. Uh, second half, it was all Tigers. We've just, we've just seen that in some of the, the bigger games in the Kiffin era. He's He's been – he was the right guy at the right time for Ole Miss. I don't think there's any denying that on the heels of Matt, Matt Luke. <laughs> Ole Miss needed somebody with some cachet bring some buzz into that program. He did it. He took Ole Miss to the Sugar Bowl in year two, but last year and a half, uh, it's been more more disappointment, and Lane is winning on Twitter more than he's winning on the field, I suppose, and uh, LSU two-and-a-half-point favorite in this one. I'm going to take the Tigers. Uh, I just can't shake Ole Miss's one-and-five record in its last six SEC games. And I can't shake what LSU did to Ole Miss in the second half last season. Yeah, I think uh, Brian Kelly should get his defense's attention this week after a dismal showing against Arkansas. Uh, This rivalry goes way back. That's another – LSU has a lot of rivals, come to think of it. I think they have more rivals than any SEC team. Yeah, I mean, Arkansas is a rival. Texas A&M is a rival. They used to play every year as – non-conference teams, Auburn's a rival, Alabama's a rival, it's just one big rivalry schedule. Uh, Mark Stoops should try that at Kentucky. Uh, so, no, I'm I'm with you on this one. I go with LSU, and I'm not even concerned about winning that, that pick. Okay. Uh, should Tennessee fans be concerned about uh, Josh Heupel's offense, which could do no wrong, Last season with Hendon Hooker at the controls, it's come in more fits and starts this year. Uh, they host South Carolina this week. Sportsbooks aren't concerned about the balls, apparently. 11.5-point favorites is Tennessee. South Carolina, uh, Spencer Rattler, <laughs> I've made this point elsewhere, John. He could be a first-team all I know it's early, but he's playing so well. You look like a genius for having him rated as like number one human being in the universe coming into this year. Uh, I think behind you on the wall, I see a Rattler 2024 sign maybe That's, lurking uh, behind you. Yeah, I may get a pet rattlesnake. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, don't tell Melinda about no. that. Uh, although I know Melinda doesn't like the mice, maybe that rattlesnake. No, she's not worried about snakes. Yeah, yeah. yeah keep your, your garage m- mouse free. Anyway, a friend, but- <laughs> yeah, a friend of mine back home in Clinton, Louisiana, 
uh, sent me a photo of two rattlesnakes, four foot long rattlesnakes he killed in his backyard. The, those rattlers didn't have any better blocking than Spencer Rattler did. Spencer Rattler's average is, has been great on his pass attempts, despite working on that deficient offensive line. We saw what he did to Tennessee last year. I think his supporting cast was probably a little bit better last year, but so was uh, so was Tennessee's. Uh, what are you thinking here? Can Tennessee cover an 11.5-point spread at home? It should because Spencer Rattler, it's almost as though sometimes when I watch him, I think of he's got a center, he's got a bunch of receivers, he's got a running back behind him. All that's missing is an offensive line. So he just he just drops back, starts running, and throws on a dead run and has been remarkably accurate doing that. I, I just don't see how South Carolina's offensive line could be any worse. However, I think so much of Spencer Rattler, I will take Spencer Rattler and uh, the points. I'm not taking South Carolina. I'm taking Spencer Rattler and the points. This is Tennessee versus Spencer Rattler. Very uh, clear distinction there. You know, in in Kansas, John, they play six-man football you, you've heard of eight-man football yeah and i believe in kansas they play six-man football uh-huh. i i, I kind of thought about that as you're describing what rattler's got going on uh he's got no offensive line out there takes the snap from the center and he's just got to quickly complete it to one of his backup quarterbacks who are playing wide receiver now at south carolina because uh, there's there's no offensive line to be found it's like south carolina's playing six-man football and nonetheless I'm going to join you in taking the Gamecocks. Um, Ooh, I, I just I don't I don't trust Tennessee's pass defense. I don't, I don't care if South Carolina is playing with a six man offense. I don't trust Tennessee's pass defense um, to be able to hold down the Gamecocks enough to, so that they can cover an eleven and a half point spread. And also, you know, regardless of what maybe the scoring average says for Tennessee, it's, it's perhaps a, a thirty five points per game. At A, it's not what it was the past two seasons at Tennessee. And B, if you've seen it with your eyes, you know that 35 points per game hasn't always looked so pretty. So I don't I think Tennessee's can can do enough to win this game. I don't think that their offense is so superior that they can cover an eleven and a half point spread. I was I was surprised to see the spread that big, frankly, but normally Vegas knows something we don't. We'll find out here. Uh, last one before we get to our lock of the week. John, you'll notice I stuck with all SEC games this week. The the fact that we were picking Notre Dame, Ohio State last week, I know really threw you for a loop. Um, but by the way, before we get into this one, what did you think of Ryan Day just screaming uh, on NBC on Saturday night about Lou Holtz? 86-year-old Lou Holtz uh, had drawn the ire of Ryan Day, and that's what Ryan Day wanted to talk about after prevailing in a in a hard-fought game against Notre Dame. I mean, should we be surprised that Lou Holtz, of all people, picked Notre Dame to win that game? I thought that was a, a strange reaction from Ryan Day screaming his head off about Lou Holtz after beating the Irish. I would recommend counseling for Ryan Day. Mm. He clearly has issues, as do most coaches. It was really what he said was a reflection, and just the uh, – extreme nature of those comments and the heartfelt 
uh, tone behind them, uh, it just reflects again what a small world these coaches live in. <laughs> so, yeah, so yeah. very small. <laughs> and, and, but they don't listen to the outside noise at all. No, no, never. But apparently, somehow, miraculously, Lou Holtz's comments seep through. And you know what? That was more indicative of anything else, aside from uh, Ryan Day's temperament, is it's true. You have if you go back and watch that Michigan Ohio State fourth quarter last year, who wouldn't question Ohio State's physicality? I mean, Michigan lined up and said, "Hey, we're handing the ball to this guy back here. See what you can do about it." Ohio State's response. Not much. I think it's the same thing. And I think I know what Lou Holtz might be saying before the Michigan game this year. And that time he'll be right. Notre Dame had some uh, obvious problem in that it couldn't count how many players it had on the field. So when it lined up for a crucial uh, goal line stand at games in, it went to its 10-man defense. Yes. Such Uh, an erudite school, but can't count to an 11, apparently. Yeah, you you could notice this gaping hole on the left side if you're looking from Ohio State's side of it. Uh, gaping hole. Why in the world a linebacker didn't say, hmm, I think they might run there where we have no defender. I better fill that space. But apparently he stuck with the plan, and you saw what happened. Ohio State won a game. It really shouldn't have won. Well, I'm glad we had this little segment on Ohio State and Lou Holtz. And uh, now we'll pick our final game before getting into our lock. Uh, it is Texas A&M, seven-point favorite against Arkansas. Uh, game is in Dallas, I believe. They play this one in neutral site. So, uh, well, I guess Arlington, whatever you want to call it, the Dallas uh, metro area. Aggies, seven-point favorite against Arkansas. Who do you take in this one? I think that LSU game might have taken a little out of Arkansas. Uh, so I'll go with the uh... – I'll go with the Aggies in this. Even if I don't know what quarterback is starting, I'll still take the Aggies. I'm going to take Arkansas on the points. I think Texas A&M will win. Uh, I think Arkansas will cover. That's such a strange game last year. Maybe I'm being affected by that because I'm almost expecting some sort of bizarre play here this year. I mean, you remember that one at Arkansas really probably should have won that last year. Oh, yeah. A strange situation down in the red zone in which uh, – uh, Texas A&M literally stripped away a, a touchdown. So I'm going to take Arkansas for not much reason other than just uh, suspect something wonky might happen in, in this game to keep it close. That brings us to our locks of the week. Uh, I'm going to go first this week. I missed my lock last week. NC State failed me by not beating Virginia by enough points. I'm going to stick to what I know, maybe, and uh, stay within the SEC this week. Missouri is a 13-and-a-half-point road favorite at the Orange Cone Zone in Nashville uh, against Vanderbilt. I'm riding your Tigers. Uh, I'm, I'm nudging you aside out of the conductor's seat. I'm taking Missouri to cover the 13-and-a-half over Vandy. Could we I, – I agree with that pick, and I wonder, could we have another stadium takeover? Kentucky did it last week. They did, yes. Yeah, I mean – how long a trip is that from Columbia, Missouri to Nashville? You got an idea on that? Uh, I'm going to say six hours. Oh, 
that's not a bad road trip. Just make sure you get 4,000 fans there and you can take over Vanderbilt Stadium. I didn't, I, I guess I'd forgotten our rules, but I didn't think we could take an SEC game. Is our, uh, yeah. As long as it wasn't one we were picking. So I conveniently left that off the list of games we were picking Uh-oh. so I could make it my lock. Otherwise, I would have taken Missouri as my lock. But you got a lock. Who, who's Southern Cal playing this week? That's probably your lock. No, I watched Southern Cal against Arizona State, and Southern Cal apparently copied Notre Dame's uh, strategy and used a 10 man defense virtually the entire game against Arizona State. So, so you've, you've pulled on the Trojans, duly. Yeah, uh, didn't cover. So, I will go. uh, One of my favorite uh, non Power Five conference programs uh, in the heart of Atlanta. Go with Georgia State. Georgia State minus two over Troy. You got an inside source on this one? No, just a really good knowledge of Georgia State program and what it can do when it's on its game. You're a friend of the program down there. I know. Do they got you on a wall, like friend of the program status? You, you've spent an inordinate amount of time uh, watching well, Georgia State games, I know. Well, I tell you what. Uh, yeah, I became a friend of the program when I called up the office. I wanted to set up an interview with uh, the coach, Sean Elliott. Uh-huh. And they handed him the phone. <laughs> the secretary answered the phone and said, hey, I'd like to set up an interview with Coach Elliott at, at his convenience. He said, Oh, well, I'll put you through to him right now. He <laughs> called him, he picked up the phone, and we talked for 20 or 30 minutes. So, yeah, he's one of my favorite coaches, along now with Oregon's Dan Lanning and one of the most epic pep speeches I've ever heard. Uh, this isn't Hollywood. This is a football field. Colorado is playing for hits, clicks, we're playing to win for playing for win. So I butchered that paraphrasing of his comments, but man, that was impressive. I had no real knowledge of Dan Lanning's personality. I, I kind of like to see him and uh, Ryan day square off in a Rose bowl, maybe. And Dan Lanning can call out their lack of physicality and pregame. And, Oh, that could be a brouhaha at midfield after. Yeah. Bring in Lou Holtz to referee. John and I would be there to to cover that one. We'll be back with you next week. Thanks for listening to this edition of SEC Football Unfiltered.